This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. It was freezing cold that night. I was a freshman in college and a group of about 30 of us had headed out to a local state park uh, for a bonfire, which I'm pretty sure was illegal. And, um, and while we were all there and we were having a great time and so forth, somebody came up with the bright idea, which always happens at bonfires, of, uh, of spending the night right there, you know, under the stars, camping out and so forth, which I'm also pretty sure was illegal. And... And I was game for it because I was a freshman in college. And when you're a freshman in college, you're game for everything. I was game for about two hours, though, <laughs> until the uh, fall jacket I had on just wasn't cutting it. And the uh, slab of stone I was slumped up against just wasn't cutting it. And that's when, in that cold, uncomfortable moment, I had a brilliant idea. I decided to what? Leave. <laughs> <laughs> to go home, right, where it was warm, and I was going to go hike down to my car, and I was going to go. Well, being the, the young and up-and-coming leader that I was at the time, I soon had five other of my friends who also thought this was a brilliant idea and decided to follow me. And so this confident freshman, chin-up, heading off in a particular direction, I led those five guys, and we went off the wrong side of a mountain, <laughs> <laughs> for hours. <laughs> we got lost. I led those guys in the wrong direction. Directions, as it turns out, just aren't my strong suit. Just ask my wife. And, um, but I learned a couple of, of really good lessons along the way. One, you can be lost without knowing that you're lost. Uh, along the way, I found myself starting to say that line that I re now realize that everybody who's lost says, where they say, it must just be a little bit farther, <laughs> right? Everybody who's lost says that line. Second, I learned that while you're lost, you can be making progress and still be lost and heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> that your progress that you're making might not actually matter, you can, make, you can be lost while, find, while, uh, while making some sort of progress. Uh, I was uh, heading in this wrong direction for long enough that finally two of my followers uh, decided that, that they were ready to mutiny. And it was only at that point that I finally had to admit that we were probably going in the wrong direction. And that's when I learned the last thing. Because as it turns out, you remain lost even when you realize you're lost. It doesn't actually change your circumstance. We remained lost until we finally found the highway that eventually led us back to my car. We only moved, though, from lost to found when and only when the correct destination was actually on the horizon. And an hour later, when we finally arrived at the car, we were frozen, hungry, tired, but we were just filled with this fresh appreciation of all the natural beauty, you know, we got to behold on our nice midnight stroll. I hate that memory. Um, <laughs> but you know, you don't have to be breaking the law in a state park 
to learn some of these same lessons about being lost, what it looks like. Now, we, we, we have and, or maybe are experiencing some of these very same lessons when we are hopelessly lost in life. You may be wandering through life pursuing just whatever the next best thing is, and you feel like a compass, though, with a magnet nearby, just spinning internally, aimlessly. Because you're lost, but you're going somewhere. You might be outwardly successful, but uh, have very little awareness of just how lost you really are. Because we can also be lost without knowing it. You may be outwardly a failure and keenly aware that you don't know where you're going in life and you don't know what you're doing. But just because you realize you're lost doesn't mean that you're actually making any progress. You might be internally and spiritually lost. And when we are, we're hungry, we're cold, but we're probably still telling ourselves just a little bit farther. Just a little bit more. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know where you might be at this morning with God, but that description of someone is a description that the Bible lays out of someone that the Bible describes as being lost. In Luke chapter 19, we find an example of a guy who's utterly lost, but hears that the highway might be right over there. He, he, he's utterly lost. He's, he's, he's spent his entire life in pursuit of money, but he finds out that he could have an encounter with Jesus. And I want you to look at it with me because I think it offers us some hope this morning. Luke chapter 19. The context of this passage is actually pretty amazing. Uh, Jesus is probably somewhere right in between uh, what we now call the two Jerichos. You have Old Testament Jericho, and you have uh, New Testament era Jericho, the Herodian uh, uh, buildings and and, and that whole area of Jericho. And Jesus is probably approaching that, that next piece of the city when he encounters a blind man. And right there, he decides to heal him. He performs a miracle. And he does this in the presence of all kinds of people. All these people are probably pilgrims uh, headed for Jerusalem and so forth. And so you can imagine, in the midst of this crowd, a man being healed. These people would have been filled with all kinds of astonishment. You know, they would have been covering their mouths. Did you see that, right? You know, that kind of astonishment would have spread like wildfire throughout the entire city. And Jesus' stroll through Jericho suddenly starts to look like a full-fledged Super Bowl parade in Kansas City, which is in the state of Missouri. And it's also, thankfully, not happening, a Super Bowl parade happening in California. But anyways, um, the streets... They're crammed, right, with people. They're filled to the brim with people. People that want to see him, people that want to touch him, people that want to hear what he has to say. In the midst of of this giant uh, 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 pool of people, we find a little man and our hope. A little lost man and our hope. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 says this. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, which means pay attention. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. In other words, this guy ran the law firm from the Three Stooges of Do We Cheat Him and How? 
In the eyes of everyone, for miles around, this guy was a two-bit liar, cheat, and traitor. Right? He was in league with uh, uh, the Roman oppressors here. Uh, he was a part of a corrupt tax system. Right? Tax collectors in that day and time, they would over-collect on taxes. And in fact, sometimes they would even make up taxes. And so then they would take and they would scoop off all of the excess money and keep it for themselves. It's kind of like if your IRS agent is driving a Lamborghini, watch out, right? You know, that kind of feeling was running through uh, people that would meet him. He was rich, and so he was probably really good at doing this. And he probably did this frequently. And what's worse, though, is that he's the chief tax collector, okay? Uh, Jericho was one of uh, three uh, central tax districts. And so he was the head honcho, the chief tax collector for all the other tax collectors in that area. So he's probably getting a piece of, of the action from all these other guys that were cheating. He's the head cheater. And all the people looked at him with disgust. Uh, what adds, though, a little bit of insult to injury with Zacchaeus is actually his name. Uh, I'm sure his parents had the highest hopes for their son when they named him Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus means pure. Literally, the most infamous and worst sinner in the entire region is named Pure. That is like a drug dealer named Christian, okay? Or a crime boss, you know, named Saint. You know, this, this, this is just irony running through here. Zacchaeus. Mr. Pure, literally ruined people's lives and got rich off of it. But it goes on to say, because that's not all that's happening here, something more. It goes on to say, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, a tree known for having low branches, to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all cheered because Jesus was finally reaching out to the, to the most evil and worst guy in town. And they were just thrilled that the gospel was going to come to this guy. That's not what it says, is it? They all what? They all grumbled and said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What's happening here is a visceral reaction by the crowds around him where they move from cheering to complaining. They move from astonishment of, of what Jesus did to disgust of what Jesus is doing. It's a visceral reaction. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Verse 8, the story takes an abrupt turn as Zacchaeus and Jesus are at his home. And it says, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, don't miss this. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. 
We'll come back to that. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now when you and I hear this passage, it can be really easy for us to get fixated on Zacchaeus. To get caught up in who he was and, and what he had done and, 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 and the fact that he was short, right? In fact, some of us who, who grew up going to Sunday school right now, we probably have a little song that's running through our heads. That Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. All right, we're going to stop it right there. Not enough of you are singing, all right? But anyways because I'm not singing it for you. Uh, I had no lesson. By the way, three adults asked me if we were going to sing that song this week when they found out I was preaching this passage. So anyways, right? It is easy to get fixated on the short little guy who wanted to see Jesus. And this guy is clearly lost in the biblical sense while seeking Jesus. But see, the great news in the story, the great news, it is not that Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. The amazing news, the amazing insight for your life and mine that we glean from this passage of God's word is the real hope of anyone who is lost, that the seeker is already being sought, that the seeker is already being sought. Zacchaeus is curious about who Jesus is. Right? Very curious, in fact. But see, Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. It is not that this packed out parade is somehow winding its way through Jericho randomly. No, Jesus is making his way to Zacchaeus. How do we know that from the story? How do we know that? It's because when Jesus comes to the tree, what does he say? Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. This isn't random. He knows his name. And he says to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Why? For I must stay. Jesus must stay with Zacchaeus. This isn't random. This is a part of God's divine laid out plan that Jesus must stay with Zacchaeus. And finally, Third reason, Jesus caps off this story by reciting again his mission that he came to what? To seek and to save the lost. In other words, it's like Jesus is saying through this story, this is what I came for. Right here, this is an example of what it looks like of what I'm all about. You want to know what the heart of God looks like? Look at the story. You want to know what the mission of Jesus was about and is about and what he has invited every one of his followers into? He has charged us to carry out the same mission that he did, to seek out the lost. The seeker is already being sought. And this insight, it matters for you. It matters for me because it operates as amazing news. This means that Jesus is actually the great seeker right? It's like he's the capital S seeker. Think of it this way. When you're lost, I mean really lost, like a four-year-old in Ikea lost, okay? What's your hope? That you're going to figure all this out? That's what we keep telling ourselves. That's what we keep telling ourselves. 
I'm going to figure this out eventually. Just give me a little bit more time. Let's just go a little bit farther. I just need a little bit more, and then I'll figure it out. Then I'll be happy. But the right direction, the right set of circumstances, the right amount just seems to keep eluding us. And eventually we circle back around to the same sad point that we were at before because we are hopelessly lost. To stick with the analogy, in particular for Zacchaeus and for so many of us, he is lost in a forest of money trees. He's lost looking for money. His internal spinning was the constant search for one more dollar and the options it would bring. The sad pursuit of one more car. The sad pursuit of a little more cheesecake. The sad pursuit of one more relationship. And then I'll be happy. But Jesus made it abundantly clear. No one can serve two Masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he made it unmistakably clear, you cannot serve both God and money. The Greek word for money here is mammon. It just means wealth. All the options that those dollars bring, all the options, you cannot serve both. That's why it's such great news that someone else is looking for you. Friend, you might be curious about Christ. You might be seeking. You might be asking questions. You might know somebody who is. I've got really good news. There's hope. There's hope because he's looking for you. He's pursuing you. And he knows your name. And in a sense, if you find him even this morning saying, hurry, come down because I want to move into your life today. Come, joyfully, right? By faith, saying, take it all, right? Surrender it all and be found. Leave behind the internal spinning for someone who's gonna drive a stake in the ground in your heart and give you direction. Take the invitation to leave the forest for the highway that will lead you home famous Christian of old, D.L. Moody, said of Zacchaeus, he must have been converted somewhere between the branches and the ground. I don't know when exactly Zacchaeus crossed over the line of faith, but according to Jesus' words, it happened that day. It happened that day. And that's part of the invitation, isn't it? It's hurry. Come down. Don't wait. Salvation is here today. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. If Jesus is calling you by name, don't wait. Don't wait. And I want you to know, I have every confidence that if Jesus is looking for you, he will find you. That just like C.S. Lewis wrote, that the hound of heaven, if he's after you, he'll find you. And Zacchaeus' joy will be yours that day. So let's consider this a little bit more, though. What does it mean that Jesus is looking for you? What does it mean to be sought by him? Look back at the text with me, because I think that we first need to make it clear that Zacchaeus is not saved because of his sudden act of justice and philanthropy. 
Those are not actions that lead him to then like find himself. And that through these big good deeds that he is changed. No, there is no amount of good deeds that will change you. In fact, if you look at this closely, you will see that it is actually the other way around. Look at verse 9 with me. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For, so here's the reason, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. How was he saved? Jesus' work or Zacchaeus's? The reason's clear. It's Jesus' work. And what did Jesus' work result in? It resulted in Zacchaeus being a son of Abraham, right? He doesn't say that his work resulted in him being really generous, a really great guy. Why does he pick son of Abraham? This is a loaded term in the Bible. Uh, it, it means much more than being a Jew. It, being a Jew alone does not get you into heaven. Instead, the New Testament uses the phrase as a way of describing someone who, like Abraham, trusted the Lord. Jesus' work draws Zacchaeus to trusting in him, and his repentance and trust is then what is symbolized through Zacchaeus' actions with his money. We'll come back to that in a moment. But what then does it look like to be sought by God? Well, what we see with Jesus and Zacchaeus is that every move in the story is reciprocal. Jesus calls, Zacchaeus follows. As one scholar put it, the reciprocity of the divine, sovereign call and human response is striking. Being sought by God is as simple and as complicated as this. He moves, we follow. He moves, he calls. He invites, we follow. If Jesus is looking for you, you'll follow. It's pretty clear in this passage that though Zacchaeus had a lot of obstacles in that following, he had a lot of physical, right? He had a physical obstacle because he's short. He has a, a social obstacle being a cheater and a traitor to his country. But the biggest obstacle in the story, real clear, is his greed, right? It's his sin of greed. Specifically, the text is pointing out that for this seeker, the number one idol in his heart could be symbolized with a dollar sign, all right? His pursuit of money. Think about his life as a tax collector. He literally spent all of his time counting, organizing, uh, collecting, swindling, and enjoying money. Like Linus from the movie Sabrina, he thinks that morals are paintings on walls and scruples are money in Russia. He worshipped wealth. And his action here, this giant act of restitution that may have very well bankrupted him, is revealing in a climactic way how God has found even him. The sense in the story is even this guy, can you believe it? even him. His giant idol of money is no match for Christ looking for him. 
It is no match for the love of God. And his affection for the dollar sign has been replaced with affection for Jesus. And ergo, the public result is a seeker being sought and revealing that through justice and generosity. They follow the work of Jesus. It would have had tremendous impact all the way throughout this entire community and ripple effects would have gone on throughout the region. A couple weeks ago, uh, there was a news report of a guy in Alaska. I don't know if you saw it, but he had his house burned down. And since he was miles upon miles away from everybody else, he uh, had to resort to carving uh, giant letters of SOS in the snow. But in order for them to be seen by aircraft flying overhead, he had to take the blackened ashes of his home and sprinkle them through the letters so that the aircraft could see overhead. When I thought about this story, I thought of an example for us. That God wants to take the ashes of your burned down lost life and write in the snow for everybody else to see found. He wants to take greed in your life. He wants to take the wrong relationship in your life. He wants to take all of the sin, the rebellion, and the brokenness in your life. And he wants to turn it around to show the world what saved looks like. What found looks like. That's the opportunity to publicly show others. And in this case, and maybe in your case, he uses generosity and restitution to show it. Listen, if the, if the idol of significance and comfort through wealth has been the dominant force in your life and it has been unseated, dethroned, and replaced by the love of Jesus, embrace the freedom that it brings. Go back. Make restitution with anybody you've wronged. Listen to those urges to be generous because this no longer defines you, but the love of God does. Live out of the freedom that you have been given, that you are a recipient of. And the ripple effects of that will spread far and wide. This is not, by the way, society's new hijacked version of restitution through taxation and trying to account for every ripple effect of being wrong, but rather this is God's opportunity to use your life. Note in the story, There is no compulsion from Jesus to do this. There's no guilt trip. There's nothing. It is done out of love for a Savior. That's the invitation. And that is how God shows others what found looks like. That is the result of having been sought by God and what saved looks like. One last implication here. Church, when we look at this story, I have a slight concern for us because I think it is easy for us at times to accidentally end up like the crowd where we become fixated on the sin of the sinner. It's not too hard for us to do that. And it has, though, extreme effects when we do. 
When we get fixated on the sin of somebody else, first we become blind to our own sin. We don't see the fact that we also live inside the United States of America and since a young age have been preached to about the value of a dollar and we have become consumed with the attainment of more of them. We can't be so naive as to think that we live in a culture that 24-7 is broadcasting that and not think that we've been affected by it. If you just look at the movies that we watch, right? What happens with the hero? He not only beats the villain, gets the girl, he gets some Benjamins along the way, right? It's not enough to just win. You have to get rich. It is so easy for us to miss the fact that there is a stick in our eye and makes us blind when we then look at somebody else and we become fixated on their sin. We become blind in that way. The other way that we begin to become fixated by someone else's sin is because we have a fear of the crowd and of their grumbling. We become fearful of what other people will think if they see us with that person because we have become fixated on that person and their sin. And we think everybody else is watching this. And if I have dinner with them, if I have them over to my house, if I spend time with them, they're going to look at me and they're going to be thinking, well, what are you up to? A couple weeks back, I was driving back from church and I was on Pioneer Road. And as I was, uh, you know, minding my own business, there was some uh, colorful lights appearing behind me. It was red and blue. And, uh, and, and, and it's starting to dawn on me, I think I'm being pulled over. And, 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 and my very first thought was, I don't think I did anything wrong, you know, you know, whatever. My second thought, though, was, I'm on Pioneer Road. It's right after church. <laughs> and there goes a car I recognize, and there goes another one I recognize. <laughs> and what was the fear in my heart? What are they all going to think of me, right? Turned out to be a broken taillight, just for the record, okay? Just a fix-it ticket. Just want to get that message out there. But that's the same fear we have with somebody else. What are they going to think of me? What are they going to think? We need to face the grumble by being humble. We cannot allow the fearfulness of somebody else's grumble at us to prevent us from being humble enough to engage with the broken, to engage with those who are culture and we ourselves see as being sinners. When we fixate on someone else's sin, we will miss it every time. Christ invites us instead to fix our gaze on who? On him. On the fact that he sees a seeker where we only see a sinner. Let's pray. Father, we invite you, Lord, to convict us and work inside of our hearts? Where is it in our life where we have missed the fact that you are seeking someone else around us? God, we ask that you would spark in us a compassion that recognizes that there is no obstacle for the gospel that is impossible. We ask that you would help us to guard ourselves by asking the question of where are our eyes fixated on when we encounter somebody who is broken. God, we ask that you would move inside of our hearts to have an awareness for the lost around us. 
that we would have a heart that is beating with yours, the great seeker. We pray all this in your name. Amen.